Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Well, normally on Fridays, we would do one of two very simple and easy to come up with things. (sighs) Not this week. Not this week. But don't worry, don't let it get you down. Normally, we would have a week in review. We haven't had a week to review. We had one game. Oops. Normally, we would be able to chat with the big dog himself, the great Aaron Bruski, but the great Aaron Bruski started sending his kid to preschool last month. And so now he is what can only be known largely by parents, as death. Couldn't think of a better word for it. You're just sick indefinitely. You have a cold or a flu or a cold or a flu or a cold or a flu or a cold for like four consecutive months. When your kid first starts preschool, it's not, I'll say it wasn't as bad for kid two, uh, because I think they probably got a bunch of stuff that I had just had. Like those viruses didn't mutate over the previous three years. So, uh, cool. You know, I only got a couple of them. I got this lingering thing, but that's, I think I only got two illnesses this cold and flu season so far, which is a pretty, pretty low number for me when, you know, we're not. Uh, when the kids are actually in school and not sequestered at home for a pandemic or anything like that. Uh, so Brew is dead. Not really, not legitimately, but effectively, he's been rendered incapacitated by uh, stacking colds on top of flus. Uh, they're all okay. They'll come out of it on the other side, you know, coated in their own mucus and what have you. Uh, but so we got no Brew today, and I got no weekend review. And I have to admit, I didn't plan far enough ahead because I had all these shows mapped out this week. I was like, all right, we're going to do a demo of long streaming. We're going to go over the Dan Vespers old man squad. We're going to do a preview of what's coming. I had all these grand plans and I thought it's fine because in my mind, most weeks during the season, I don't plan the Monday or Friday shows. Now, Friday, I do have to go through and and write up my weekend review synopsis that ends up usually going on Twitter. So uh, it probably should have struck me late last night when I wasn't putting that together that, oh, wait, we're going to have to come up with something else for Friday. Uh, But it'll be fine. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Uh, (laughs) So instead, we got a Thursday recap. We got a weekend preview And I have more reasons for those of you listening over on the traditional podcast channels to come join us at youtube.com slash sports ethos. Because today I have told the good people on YouTube, and I will do so again right now, that if we get to 30 likes during today's show at any point, I will put a picture of myself from 2004 at the end of the show. And maybe I'll even set it as the header if it's not too embarrassing. Honestly, if it's too embarrassing, that's even better. So get in there, man. Click that like button. And if you're not on YouTube, go back and do it later. uh, Because I know you guys want me to have to send a set a picture of myself from 20 years ago uh, as the show's thumbnail. That would be hilarious. Not great for the Sports Ethos website. 
but hilarious for you. That, of course, again, is YouTube.com slash Sports Ethos. This is Fantasy NBA Today. I am your host, Dan Bespers. Thank you all for joining us on this lovely Friday morning. Basketball's back. I know I said that on yesterday's show, but it actually hadn't gotten back yet. Now it's gotten back to where it once belonged, which is on our computer screens. Get back, JoJo. Let's talk about the games on Thursday. We got a nice weekend look ahead here. I know a lot of you guys really do look uh, enjoy the kind of what are we gunning for. Next week will be treated as a normal week, normal fantasy week. The following week, we'll start to do a little bit more playoff stuff and long stream discussion. We can actually even kind of do that towards the end of next week. And you guys got a little bit of a, a taste, a taste test on what that's going to look like on yesterday's show. But let's go ahead and dive on in right now. On your screens, those of you that are watching, I had it uh, landing on one of the later games. We're going to scroll back to the top and start with Boston at Indiana. Celtics needed overtime to beat the Pacers in a very high-scoring 280-point ball game. So what do we make of this one? Celtics were healthy for basically the first time all year. I think this is like the third game they've been fully healthy for. And Time Lord got kind of squeezed out in this one. So here's the thing about Time Lord. And I think I talked about him a little bit on yesterday's show also. He was, as much as I love Robert Williams, and you guys know that I did how much Robert Williams love fest on last year's pods. He was never a target for this year because he was expected to miss the first two months of the season. And then there was another two to three week ramp up period or longer. And we're only now getting to a point where the Celtics even feel comfortable playing him around starters minutes. And our first tenet when it comes to fantasy drafting here on Fantasy NBA Today is do not draft injured players so if you guys listen to this show closely you probably don't have much in the way of robert williams anyway again even though he's like one of our true loves from last year not a guy i was about to squat on for two and a half months because there's just too much uncertainty with players like that now he did get back and he is playing and he's around a top 70 value so not all hope is lost but if you're like me and you ended up with him in one spot which Somebody dropped him, got tired of sitting on him. I can completely understand that. I picked him up about eh, three to four weeks before he came back, which is a more reasonable stash length than uh, 10 or whatever it was. So now the question becomes, what do you do? Well, you got him. Just play him and understand if you can mentally adjust to the idea that he's not going to be a top 30 play this year and just accept that he's probably going to be more like 60 then you don't have anything to worry about otherwise everything went pretty much according to plan Malcolm Brogdon had a big ball game Derek White was fine but he's going to slowly get phased out here and it'll be more like what we saw earlier in the year where Brogdon was pretty good sometimes Derek White was fine sometimes uh Big Al did his little across the board routine which keeps him afloat as more of a roto guy and so on and so forth Tyrese Halliburton, Miles Turner, giant games on the Indiana side. No surprises there. Buddy Heald was fine. Benedict Matherin at 19-7 and seven with four assists and two steals. And I will believe that his fantasy game has changed when I see this about five times in a row. Not once. 
Orlando, Jonathan Isaac, 16 and a half minutes. I believe that's a season high. And he played like it was a season high. 10 points, seven boards, two steals, a block, two three-pointers in 16 and a half minutes. If you're wondering why, good grief, we're talking like five weeks ago, I said, and have continued to say on this podcast, treat him like an injury stash. If you're in a games cap, roto league, or keeper format only, this is why. Because he doesn't need to get to 27 or 28 minutes to have fantasy value. At starters minutes, he's a second rounder. At 20 or above, he's top 100 or better. That's the magic of Jonathan Isaac. In a head-to-head league, he was never an ad. Not even now. Because they're going to be missed games for back-to-backs. There are going to be other games where they just give him the day off. It's going to be way too big of a headache. But on the Roto side, we are probably now within two weeks, I would think, of Isaac actually being a guy you can reliably start against a game cap. That's pretty cool. Maybe we made it. Or you made it. Or whoever. Cole Anthony, uh, back after the All-Star break here. 15-4-4 with three threes. He looked pretty good in only 18 minutes, but the units he was a part of were getting spanked out there. So he didn't get to play very much. But he does also slice and cleave Jalen Suggs, who is a very easy drop with Cole Anthony back. On the Detroit side, lots of questions last night about Jalen Duran. So there are a couple things going on here. Number one, he is now competing with James Wiseman for minutes. That's annoying. Number two, the second unit for Detroit actually got them back in the ballgame. Alec Burks was kind of the tip of that spear. Hamadou Diallo was also part of it. And then James Wiseman was... Wiseman, I should say, was kind of passively a part of those units. He was fine. Eight points, 10 rebounds, I guess is okay, but he took 10 shots in his 23 minutes, so he was out there just hucking it up and not really worried about it too much. I guess what the way I'm trying to phrase it is, Wiseman wasn't the reason the second unit made a run, but he was with the unit that made a run, and so he got a little extra run. Makes sense. Also, Jalen Duran five fouls in 22 and a half minutes. It wasn't specifically the reason that he wasn't in the ball game. Fouls weren't a huge issue. I think he had two, like nine minutes into the game, but it didn't help. And so my take on this is, I'm sure you guys are like, Dan, get to the freaking point here. Hey man, they don't call this podcast pedantic for nothing. The point is here, you're holding on a little bit longer. You have to. Durin's looked too good to abandon ship after a game right before the break where he turned his ankle and came out early. And this one where he had some foul issues, but also, you know, the starters were just kind of getting punked. Markel Fultz was a plus 17 on the Orlando side. He typically plays with the starters. They were winning this game by a bunch. Detroit's reserves made it a closer ball game, so they got to play some more. You can see it by Boyan Bogdanovich's minutes being under 29. It wasn't because they're like bubble wrapping him or anything. It's because the units he was on the floor with were not good. KCP, baby. I don't know how many times I have to tell all of you he's an ad. I told you KCP was an ad in November. I told you KCP was an ad when the team is healthy in December. The only caveat we put on any of our Contavious Caldwell Pope chatter on this podcast was if the key guys are out, and for Denver, I'm making, I'm relegating that to be Jokic and Jamal Murray. And I know that uh, Aaron Gordon has been somewhat important for them. 
Uh, you know, he wasn't in this ball game either. And Michael Porter Jr. has been somewhat important for them, and he's missed some time this year. But it's about Jokic and Jamal. When those two can run action together, KCP is wide freaking open. And so on the season now, he's top 75. Over the last two months, KCP is inside the top 60. Over the last single month, he's inside the top 45. And over the last two weeks, which is effectively five games because he had the all-star break in there, he's a second rounder. KCP has been a guy that belongs on head-to-head rosters from day one to day whatever the crap it is right now. And for Roto, he's a guy that probably belonged on rosters the whole way through, but maybe on the bench when Jamal Murray was out for whatever that was, three weeks or something earlier this year. That was the only time he didn't need to be in lineups and is because he didn't have as much room to operate. He is the prototypical 3 and D fantasy play and... He needs to be rostered, and I don't know why it isn't happening everywhere. Something to point out on the Denver side with a shout-out to uh, our main man, Alex Loveless, here over at uh, Sports Ethos, is that if anybody rests for Denver on back-to-backs, if Jamal Murray gets back-to-backs off, if I don't think KCP will, but he's been playing at basically every single ball game. Reggie Jackson now, as a backup guard, if he jumps up into the high 20s or low 30s in minutes for whatever reason, it would likely be because someone's out in front of him playing alongside Jokic as well. He would actually be a really interesting short range stream. And then I've, I'm assuming that Denver now with a, a six game lead over the Memphis Grizzlies will start to give Jokic a couple games off here and there. They're a game back by the way of the Celtics and overall ranking. So, you know, Perhaps the Nuggets are going to be gunning for home court throughout the playoffs, and maybe they don't then give Jokic any additional days off, but I'm thinking they will. For instance, tomorrow they're in Memphis, and then Sunday they're home to host the Clippers in a super late game. I think it's an 8 o'clock Mountain Time start. Jokic might get one of those two games off. What's their next back-to-back uh march 18 19 they're in new york and then in brooklyn maybe there's a nightlife game off for Jokic. so keep an eye on a potential one night stand for thomas bryant also there's gonna be a couple of those mixed in there and and these little one game roto streamers are gonna be a really big deal down the stretch not so much head to head nothing on the cavalier side cool we can keep going Memphis, uh, Brandon Clark had foul issues, four fouls in 15 and a half minutes. He got the start in this one, which felt kind of dumb. And sorry, I mean, I get it. Like, these guys have more data than me, and I'm just looking at it going, big guy versus big guy. But Xavier Tillman, didn't he feel like a more reasonable matchup with Joel Embiid than Brandon Clark, who's long and athletic and Embiid would just sort of wrap him around and snap him. Joel was uh, very rusty in this game. Um, I don't know. Was that Clark? Was that Tillman? Was it? Who knows? Maybe it was just life. Regardless, in the future, if we learn that Brandon Clark is starting games, I want to stream him. I don't know, unfortunately, if he's going to be starting games because Memphis keeps flip-flopping back between Clark uh, and Tillman. And it also sounds like Steven Adams is not that far away. 
So this one goes back once again to our little uh, non-soundbite soundbite of Steve Stifler saying, I don't know, man, that sounds like a lot of work. It is a lot of work to like constantly try to figure out if Clark Tillman is or is starting or if Adams is back. So it's probably easier just to go, you know what? There's better stuff going on somewhere else. And there probably is. But if we somehow get warning that Clark is going to start the next ball game. Okay. Got a bunch of DeAnthony Melton questions last night and actually pre-show on YouTube today. Uh, and what I said there is what I'll say again, which is I'm giving Melton a week. This game had a lot of little outliers mixed in. He had five fouls in 13 and a half minutes. It was, a, it was absolutely insane how quickly he picked up fouls, largely guarding John Morant. Um, but whatever he was doing out there, it sort of set the tone and jaw had a really bad ball game other than the free throw line. Melton is still starting. It has neutered him to a certain degree. He's also prone to losing all of his minutes to Tyrese Maxey. He is also prone to losing front court minutes. If they wanted to slide guys up and play him, uh, a little more in the backcourt to Jalen McDaniels, who got 15 minutes here. Those are just 15 minutes that weren't go that, you know, it's hard to, to line this out without more visual aids, but previously to the McDaniels acquisition, when anybody was out, they would just slide everybody to a different position on the floor and Melton picked up the extra minutes. It's not the case anymore. So is Melton the drop? The answer is he probably will be. Meaning if you did it now, I wouldn't kill you. I'm giving him a full week and this is one game out of it. And if it continues down this path, then obviously I would, I would drop him. Uh, but I want to give him a little bit longer. And also, I honestly can't remember the last time a guard was in this much foul trouble in a basketball game this year. So we kind of have to take it with a little bit of a grain of salt. He was setting records for guards picking up fouls. Arguably the biggest news out of yesterday, and you guys had to wade into the middle of the podcast to get there. That's the Nuggets. I hide the Nuggets for you. Let's play a little game of hide the Nuggets today. Josh Richardson has supplanted Trey Murphy as the starter for the New Orleans Pelicans. It's not clear where, what position any of these guys is actually playing, but Richardson is a facilitator. I think the Clippers like to use the word connectors for those guys because they don't have a true point guard on the floor. Hells don't have a true point guard on the floor. McCollum's a connector. Richardson is a connector. Brandon Ingram is a scorer. He's not so much a connector. Larry Nance is kind of a front court connector. Herb Jones is not a terrific passer, but he should be connecting. Which, you know, Pels had 23 assists in yesterday's ballgame, and nobody had more than five. A pretty good indicator that everyone is kind of moving the ball to everybody else. So Richardson's going to have his three-plus assists. He's a steals guy again, now that he doesn't have to be the focal point on offense, and he hits threes. And he actually gets a few blocks from the guard spot. Not a ton anymore. That was more when he was a younger man. A younger man's blocking game. But he's an ad. 29 minutes for Josh Richardson in almost any scenario is an ad. And on a team that plays fast like the Pels, still lacking uh, their main guy in Zion Williamson, Richard needs to be on Richardson, excuse me, not just Richards. That's Nick Richards. Josh Richardson needs to be on rosters in basically every format, 12 team and deeper. Points, 8-cat, 9-cat, you name it. He's your ad of the day, unquestionably. 
Guys, it's going to be fun to have Jakob Pertl on our fantasy teams down the stretch. And now you know why I made such a stinky stink about buying low on Jakob leading up to the All-Star break because someone was going to trade for this dude that wanted to play him. And he is revitalized by playing for a team that gives a crap. And Toronto right now gives a crap. Which, you know, does that make them a good basketball team? Absolutely not. Are they much better with a rim-protecting big man? Oh, yes. They were a bad rebounding, bad defensive team. And Pirtle's going to help a bunch in both of those situations. In fact, the Raptors are a half game from jumping into the eighth spot and actually grabbing home court edge in the play-in tournament. They're going to have a real tall order trying to get up and out of the play-in. They're four games out of that. Probably not going to happen. But you never know, because they are playing better, and they're getting their guys back. With the exception of Freddie Van Fleet, who missed this one due to personal reasons, but at least then he'll be back at some point in the next couple of ball games, and he won't need uh, any conditioning or uh, work himself up. Uh, OG Ananobi came back for this one. Gary Trent Jr. also came back for this one for Toronto, which meant a couple of things. Number one, because Van Vliet was out, both of those guys got to start. I think Gary Trent Jr. probably ends up on the bench when this team is fully healthy. He'll be the bench gunner, the first man off, the guy that's going to get all the shots in the second unit. And uh, that would leave Hurdle as the starting center. And I just, I feel like the Raptors prefer Hurdle in there with the starters because they don't need more offense with that group. And Fleet can play offense, Barnes, Ananobi, Siakam, all those guys can play offense. So Trent moves to the bench, you put it, you put some offense in the second unit, which doesn't really have any right now. Pirtle continues to start and go buck wild. I mean, seriously, buck wild right now. Um, but I'm not worried about any of them, other than Precious Achua, who is very much a drop. Now that this team has all these guys back, this is even without Freddie Van Fleet. Achua is a drop picture of ready back and it only gets tighter dallas blew out san antonio who have now lost 15 consecutive ball games they are on the longest losing streak in the nba by a robust eight game margin over the houston rockets and a nine game margin over the second longest losing streak that belongs to the chicago bulls who have lost six games in a row yikes Yikes to all of this stuff. Rockets 13 wins, Spurs 14 wins, Pistons 15 wins, Hornets 17 wins. Good gravy. All right, let's talk about the Dallas side first. I think that's a little bit easier. Number one, Christian Wood, foul trouble, but he did, again, you know, I don't think it matters that much for him right now. He's a mid-20s minutes guy for the foreseeable future, and Maxi Kleba isn't back yet. Just adjust your expectations on Christian Wood to be a mid-20s dude, which means, you know, more like a 80 to 100 range type instead of that run he went on earlier this year when everybody was out. Everybody's not out anymore. Mavs also brought in Justin Holiday. He just creates more of a long ja log jam. Long jam? A long jam. I believe that would be a four-play long time by Boston. That's a long jam. Feels So Good by Chuck Mangione's a long jam. Cashmere's a long jam. Justin Holiday's creating a log, log jam on the wings with Tim Hardaway Jr. and Reggie Bullock and Josh Green. And so all of those guys become expendable now. 
if you're going to get a game where it's like, oh, Holiday's playing better, cool. He gets 21 minutes, and uh, Hardaway, you only get 27, and Bullock, you get 26, and Green, you get 25. And I know this was a blowout, so uh, don't yell at me. Don't come at me, bro. I get it. A lot of those guys would have had an extra couple of minutes in a normal scenario, but more players that are capable is not good. And once Maxi Kleba comes back, that pushes guys down the board a little bit that were playing forward or big forward. Big forward meaning more the power forward center range. I like to call the power forward center those guys that are PF slash C. I call them big forwards because I'm a little kid. Kyrie Irving was solid. Luca was solid. No real complaints there. San Antonio's the... Yeah. Uh, Charles Bassey played 19 minutes in uh, reserve, backing up Zach Collins. We know the Bassey can rack up fantasy stats pretty quick, but this was very fast, even by his standards. So you can put him on the watch list if you like, but I'm not moving on him. I'm also not doing anything with Kata Bates' job either. Keldon Johnson remains on my various rosters where I have him, uh, which is a pain in the butt, but he's been okay at least over the last like month and a half. It's everybody else that we need to think about here, meaning Trey Jones, who's been hurt, for a while he's still someone that needs to be rostered unless he's going to ding you going into your fantasy playoffs so don't give up on trey yet he and zach collins are frankly the only two guys on this spurs team that we know have nine category value and then you get into guys like Devonte graham uh malachi branham who's been shooting ball better over his last couple of ball games jeremy sohan who didn't play in this one those are guys that are typically more inefficient well, honestly, they're a lot like Keldon Johnson, but just don't have as much usage. So that's what separates them. Devontae Graham is probably streamable while Trey Jones and Sohan are out. He's a starting point guard for an NBA team, and I know he only took six shots, and he missed two of his six free throws. Typically, he's a pretty good free throw shooter. He'll get you threes and assists on bad field goal percent, and in a starting role, he's streamable. For me, honestly, I know this is a little bit dumb. Malachi Branham, and this is probably because I play so much more Roto than head-to-head. Branham is a guy you can play in head-to-head. Uh, you know, the trade of Josh Richardson obviously opened things up a little bit here. Trey Jones and Sohan coming back would pretty dramatically, I believe, slow this thing down. And then the big one, the elephant in the room that we haven't talked about, is Devin Vassell who is still just kind of dangling out there. Everybody keeps asking me, should I pick up Devin Vassell? Should I pick? I'm like, look, dude, I'm watching the news as close as you are, and they still haven't really told us anything new or special about him. So mm-hmm. probably not if your playoffs are coming up. The other thing you can look at is you want to check out San Antonio's schedule. Uh They have a back-to-back March 4th and 5th. They have a back-to-back March 14th and 15th. 21st and 22nd is also a back-to-back for San Antonio. They got a bunch of them that fall in the fantasy playoffs. I would be floored if the key guys for the Spurs play in both halves of the back-to-back. Floored. That goes for pretty much all of these guys. So things are about to get real funky. Real funky. Utah, wild Lowry Markinen-led comeback, able to upend Oklahoma City. And as your resident Lakers fan over here, this is one of those games where you're like, it's going to be good either way, as long as the Lakers win, which they did. Uh, I meant to make this 
sorry, YouTubers. I meant to make that box score page a little bit bigger for you. Uh, Shea was outstanding as usual, although he missed a few free throws in this one, which is kind of odd for him. And then you got a pretty good Kenny Hustle game. That's Kenrich Williams. Uh, we've been keeping watch on Jeremiah Robinson Earl. His minutes haven't changed much. Jalen Williams continues to be very successful. Jalen Williams was a little better in this ball game, but he doesn't require any attention. So no adjustments to OKC. What about Utah? I have to admit, I was a bit curious what would happen uh, given the Jazz signed Chris Dunn off this scrap heap. I'm a little bit surprised that Dunn hadn't been signed earlier than this. He's shown himself to be a pretty good defense-first, pass-first point guard. Uh, but I guess teams just felt like they wanted to try other stuff. And Dunn got 17 minutes. He is, by the way, a little bit of a threat to Taylor Orton Tucker. But I wouldn't worry about it until we actually see it materialize. Right now, THT is a must-start play while Colin Sexton is out. He becomes a little bit, bit, a little bit more borderline when Sexton comes back. But in the very short term here, because the Jazz just don't have that many healthy bodies left, Kessler, incredible, 18 boards, seven blocked shots. Wowie wow. Lowry Markinen, another Mondo game in what has been a season of Mondo games. And Markinen is up to number 17 again per game this year. Crazy, absolutely incredible and crazy. And Kelly Olynyk, 12.7 boards, three assists, two steals, one block, two three-pointers. I loves me some Kelly Olynyk. I really do. It's grotesque. I have a problem. But you know what? It's my problem. You guys don't have to worry about me. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. Uh, so the Olenek run here, which has largely come since he's been fully ramped up, which is like the last three weeks or so. I know the All-Star break mucks that up a little bit. But it's like the last six to ten ball games where he's been at about 30 minutes per game. Top 70 over that stretch. Enjoy it, everybody. Olenek could legitimately be a top 60 play the rest of the year. He could. What do we do when Colin Sexton comes back? I think you play it by ear a little bit. There's a chance that THT holds on to value even after that mark. But for now, that's all you need to worry about is you play him. Lakers got very little from their key guys. D'Angelo Russell left after the end of the first quarter with a sprained ankle. LeBron was all-star break rusty. Anthony Davis was trying to deal with Draymond Green. Uh, which never goes all that great for him. And the Lakers still won in blowout fashion. I know the final score says Lakers by 13. I promise you it was not that close. And that's because Austin Reeves and KCP dueling perfectos yesterday. That was kind of cool. Actually, wait a minute. Did they have almost the exact same perfecto? How about that? Six for six for 17 points for both KCP and Austin Reeves. Reeves got a few extra free throws. KCP had a few extra three-pointers. That's weird. You're not picking up Austin. Much as I love Austin Reeves, he's perfect for this team and has been all season long. You know, it's it's weird how much his injury actually did impact what the Lakers were trying to do. Uh, the guys you're looking at on this Lakers team right now, just to find out if there's going to be an adjustment in value, are Jared Vanderbilt and Malik Beasley. And what we saw here, which is precisely what I worried about on yesterday's podcast. Remember I said this on yesterday's show during our look ahead? I said, I don't think the Lakers will need Vanderbilt as much in this game against the Warriors as they did against Brandon Ingram and the Pels. Because Vanderbilt's job is a point of attack defender against the, the op opponent's best front court offensive weapon. 
and the Warriors, who didn't have Andrew Wiggins. If Wiggins played, we might have seen more Vanderbilt. But they didn't have Andrew Wiggins. Uh, it was really their only front court scoring option. Everybody else in the Warriors that that puts the ball in the hoop reliably is a guard. Clay Thompson, Steph, who's out, Jordan Poole, who's out. Those are the other scorers on this team. So, as expected, Vanderbilt, no foul trouble, no issues there. By the way, he was still a plus 16, so Vanderbilt was a really good player when he was on the court. But from a matchup standpoint and from a spacing standpoint, they didn't need him as much. Malik Beasley, on the other hand, got lava hot in this one, knocked down seven three-pointers. He was a plus 26, team best plus 26, and he carried him. LeBron was feeding him, yeah, but pretty remarkable turnaround here. And I feel like I keep needing to go back to the Russell Westbrook stuff, but we'll talk a little bit more about Russ during the look-ahead portion of the show, which is coming up here in the very near future. No, I'm not adding Malik Beasley in Roto in head-to-head. I might consider it and just hope that this is kind of you know, a Malik Beasley laser wave. We know how hot he gets and then how cold. If this is a hot run, you sort of just want to catch it. But I don't have the stones to use a games cap trying to catch it. And then the last game, I, don't, I could not care any less about. Sacramento blew out Portland. The Blazers were stuck on the tarmac at their airport for nine hours. Not yesterday, but the previous night. They didn't fly out until like six hours before the game yesterday. And so they just rested all of their key guys because they didn't want to risk those dudes suffering an injury from being cramped up on an airplane for like 13 hours over the previous two days. Seems fair. Portland just took it as a scheduled loss at that point. It's not good for the Blazers. They need wins. They're the 12 seed right now, but they played a little bit of the long game and it makes sense. Malik Monk did come back for the Kings. I guess we could briefly talk about Malik Monk as more of a 16-teamer. And now we have briefly talked about Malik Monk. Mid-show pause to remind all of our pals over on the YouTube side to please like the video. We're at 24 likes right now. And as I mentioned earlier in the show, if we get to 30 likes before I sign off air on today's podcast, if we get to 30 likes on the show... I will set a picture of myself from 2004 as the thumbnail for this podcast, and you guys will all get to see it first. So the reward is out there. It is Dan Bespris' classic-level embarrassment, and all we got to do is get to 30 likes. We're at 25 now, so someone, one person among you that was watching live heard the call to action and went and did it. I also hope all of you guys will take a moment to like or to subscribe to our YouTube page. The more of you that join us, the faster this thing can grow. And the better case I have to go to the boss man's here, that would be typically brew. It's a brew. We got to put everything into YouTube. It's growing like wildfire. Come join us. Like and subscribe. Ooh, 28. It's getting there. I got the picture picked out and everything. It's glorious, friends. Good Lord, I was so skinny and so very hairy on my head. Now I'm also very hairy, and it's just more of a mixed bag of hair. All right, let's pivot over to the look ahead. I'm going to boot the recording software back up. You know what I keep forgetting to do? I mean, I meant to do it earlier in the podcast is to remind all of you guys 
that we have a baseball draft guide available at Sports Ethos right now. This is an unbelievable, I know you guys don't want to hear promo. I really, I think I've done a pretty damn good job of going hyper low on promo on this show lately. But this is a big one for us because now we will, over the last calendar year, have had a draft guide in football, then basketball, and now baseball. We have covered, sorry hockey, sorry Blake, the big three for fantasy sports. And the baseball draft guide can be yours as part of the fantasy pass for just $5.99 a month. And I'll tell you right now, you can cancel immediately if you want to. I wish you wouldn't. I mean, the longer you hang around, the better our website does. But you could get it for $5.99 and you could cancel on the 29th day or whatever of your subscription and get probably almost everything in the baseball draft guide over those 29 days. I would love it if you left it on because it does still have access to NBA stuff as well. It does have access to the pros in Discord. It has all the things in the baseball draft guide. It's available at sportsethos.com. And you click on the premium tab. It's so easy. Head on over there now. Click on the premium tab. Choose get premium and grab a baseball draft guide. You will be happy you did. Wait, did we just go back down to 27 likes? What did you guys do to me here? Grab a baseball draft guide. Uh and come along for the ride with Joe Orico and his amazing, amazing baseball team that we've built up over the last calendar year. Weekend look ahead. We're going to talk about all 30 teams in lightning round fashion. 30 teams in 10 minutes. Here we go. Knicks, first game out of the All-Star break. It's going to come down to whether or not Josh Hart is starting. Otherwise, I have basically no questions for this team. Oh, wait a minute. I do. Spoke too fast. Mitchell Robinson, game time decision. I don't think he's going to need a ton of games for conditioning. So you'll probably see mid-20s and minutes right out of the shoot, and then starters minutes. My guess would be by game two or game three for him. Uh, he was dropped in a league I'm in. I added him in said league. I he was a top 60 range producer this year prior to injury, and I have no reason to think he won't get back to that coming up now. Wizards. Uh, I do still kind of want to know what Gafford and Avdi are going to be doing. With Kuzma all the way back, um, does DeLon Wright's hot run last through the All-Star break? My guess is no, although Bradley Beal is questionable, so that could kind of upend whatever Wizards-related data we were trying to pick up here. Miami, Kyle Lowry hoping to be back by the beginning of this coming week, so probably not yet. If Tyler Hero is in, which I haven't heard any reason for him not to be, but we'll wait and get a final ruling on that a little bit later this afternoon then I would be a little afraid to play Cape Vincent in a games format or a games cap format. I'm okay with playing Vincent head to head as long as only Lowry's out. The Bucks are expecting to have Bobby Portis, Jay Crowder, both back for this ball game. Giannis is doubtful. Connaughton, I believe, is also doubtful. So you'll get a little bit of a mismatch thing. I am fairly curious what Jay Crowder's role is going to be on this team. I have him on 30 deep, the big industry 30 deep league. And I've sat on him the entire damn year. Now I'm going to see if it was worth it. He won't be a 12-teamer when this team is healthy at the very least. But Portis could be. So especially with Giannis out, Bobby's going to be a, a big, big player here. They do need to ramp him up a little bit. So don't get overexcited. Cleveland nothing. Atlanta, new coach. Nate McMillan was fired. It looks like they're going to be hiring Quinn Snyder. Uh, Joe Prunty, I, am I remembering that right? I believe he's the interim coach there. Uh... He used to be in Milwaukee. 
doesn't matter. Um, people are wondering what I think that does to anybody with the Hawks. Uh, first of all, Trey Young was not at practice yesterday, but I'm assuming he's at this ball game unless we hear otherwise. We haven't heard otherwise yet. I think he plays better now under a new coach because it felt like Trey kind of wanted the old coach gone. New coach bump. Um, I don't know that it changes the outlook for almost anybody else on the team. Unless they pivot more into Okongwu, but one of the big things was that the Hawks want more on defense, and Capella's pretty reliably been better for them on that side of the ball. So we'll see. I'm not super worried about it. Um, keep an eye on things, but I don't think that there's going to be a big seismic change from a strategic standpoint. I think it's going to be really more just about motivational stuff. Charlotte Hornets. Um, well, I'd love an update on Kelly Oubre, but other than that, there's not a whole lot that I'm waiting on. Dennis Smith Jr. is obviously more successful when one additional player is out. Minnesota. Mike Conley most likely finally got to sleep a little bit over the All-Star break, so this should be a much better game for him. Slow-mo got to rest his back over the break, so this should be a relatively decent game for him. Would love a Carl Anthony Towns update as well, but I don't think we're going to get one. Brooklyn. I'd want to see what Cam Thomas is going to be here over the next, call it three to five ball games, because he's starting to show a little something that last game going into the break. I don't know if it's going to be reliably enough, but I also, this is why prior to the all-star break, I was talking about how I don't think I was ready to drop him yet. Cause it does feel like there are going to be times where the Nets badly need scoring. We'll see Chicago. They didn't blow it up. They brought in Pat Beverly. So we'll see what happens there. What does that do to the other guards in the rotation? Uh, I don't think the Bulls shut things down for at least another four weeks, maybe more. And maybe they win two or three ball games in a row, and then that all becomes a moot point. Thunder. Uh, Shea is questionable. We know Josh Giddy goes buck, fully buck wild. Fully buck wild uh, when Shea is out. Um, but otherwise, not much to look at there. Phoenix. Can Josh Okogie keep his hot run going? We have a likely return date for Kevin Durant, which is Wednesday of next week. That'll upend everything going on with the Suns. Rockets. It sounds like both Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr. are out for this ballgame, which means there's usage to go around. So Opera and Shengun should see plenty of usage. You'll probably see Jabari Smith Jr. see plenty of usage. KJ Martin will have a bunch. I don't know that I would go any farther than that, but we might as well just file this one in our Rolodex. This is a game where I think I'd rather react than proact to anything beyond those three guys. Warriors, they need a win and they should get one in this ballgame. We'll see if Wiggins is back. Uh, if not, you know, you kind of stay the course with the same usual fare. If you desperately needed someone on the head-to-head -head side, Jonathan Kaminga would probably get uh, enough minutes. I don't want anything to do with it. Kings on the back-to-back -back against the Clippers. They got the kind of freebie against the B-Squad Blazers. This will be a test for them. Russell Westbrook, it's being reported, is expected to start for the Clippers in this ballgame in his first game after signing. I don't know, man. I have thoughts. I have feelings. And my feelings are that this is a really weird decision by the Clippers. That starting unit has two ball-dominant stars. In Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. I don't know that I needed to say that, but I said it. What those two guys needed around them 
are facilitators and one dude to set big old screens. So they got typically someone like a Marcus Morris in there. And they've been using Terrence Mann as the point guard. Specifically because he's not a shoot-first type of guard. Reggie Jackson kind of played his way into the doghouse. And John Wall, zero floor spacing, didn't fit. I don't, I don't see it. I said on Twitter that I, like, I'd be happy to find out I was wrong on this one. But I've been watching Russ with the Lakers every single game for the better part of two full seasons. And Russ isn't old Russ anymore. Now he's old Russ. Meaning, he's still probably faster than most of the players on the court. But the explosion isn't there. That's what made him so entertaining and unbelievable for so many years was the fact that he could go that fast and then explode. Most of us, if we are running top speed while also trying to do some sort of like non-gross motor, like you're doing a gross motor skill and you're doing a fine motor skill at the same time. He's dribbling a basketball and he's running at top speed. Typically, you can't then take off like a rocket. And what he's experiencing here over the last couple of seasons is losing some of those thrusters, that rocket boost. So he gets to the rim and then clangs it. We've seen so many layups that go like off the underside of the iron because his body, his brain says we can still get above the rim and his body gets like four inches lower. And so his finishing percentage has suffered. And we know he can't shoot. That's always been the case. It's never been a problem for him because he's been able to go at that insane speed with, with shooters around him and there's been space to operate. But now, the third ball handler here around Kawhi and PG feels way too much like what wasn't working at all with LeBron and AD. And I get it. PG and Kawhi are better floor spacers than LeBron and Anthony Davis are. So to that end, yeah, okay, I can see how that maybe makes a little bit more sense. And like the Lakers not having any shooting Obviously, that's a big problem. So there's more space for Russ to operate with the Clippers. And I think overall, it's just a better place for him to be as someone who cannot space the floor. But what I watched with the Lakers, which was inability to finish like old Russ, and still with kind of goofball decision-making, the, the bad, unfortunately, was outweighing the good. Where he made sense, in my mind, and look, again, I am more than willing to admit that I could be wrong about this, and I would be happy to be wrong about this because Russ, for a decade, was one of the most entertaining players in the NBA. I would love to be wrong, but the live ball turnovers and the non-transition charges to the rim with layup tries that are not close are some of the biggest game-tilting plays that happened to the Lakers over the last year and a half. He did some good stuff, specifically this year, when they moved him to the bench, and he ran the second unit, where it could just be like, Russ, go be Russ, go crazy. And there were some days where it was good crazy, and there were some days where it was bad crazy. 
but jamming him in with a starting unit where there's just no room for crazy Russ just doesn't make any sense to me. Maybe they know something I don't know. I have to assume they know something I don't know because they're a full NBA staff and I'm just one dude who watches a lot of basketball. But it feels a lot like this was Buddy's sort of overwhelming the the better decision, which is bring him off the bench when the team looks lifeless because Ruffs never looks lifeless. The one thing you can always say about Russell Westbrook is he is full of piss and vinegar. And teams need that. I thought Chicago actually needed that a lot. They got it in Patrick Beverly, but we'll see. It'll be interesting at the very least. So that's Clippers tonight. And then I guess on top of that, do we wonder, does he impact Kawhi and PG at all? Or Norman Powell, who was kind of the third ball handler on that team and was. And maybe that's why they wanted to start Russ, because they want Norm to still be the gunner off the bench. Maybe that's the big part of the equation that I wasn't looking at. We'll see. Toronto at Detroit. We'll see if Freddie Van Fleet is back. If he is, I'd love to know how their rotations look. Detroit will be watching Duran and James Wiseman like Hawks. And for you points leaguers, they've been saying all the right things about RJ Hampton. He might actually get a little bit of playing time on this team. But I think you can probably just watch this game and see. I don't think you have to get out in front of that one. And on category side, it doesn't matter. Indiana, nothing. Orlando, it's all about Jonathan Isaac and his minutes, where they settle. Miami, we already talked about. Charlotte, we already talked about. Pelicans, I'd love to continue to see Josh Richardson start. uh, But they're going to need to win a couple ballgames or they will keep tinkering. Knicks, we talked about. Denver, nothing really other than when they may rest guys. Memphis, who's the starting center? in each ball game, and please, can you please tell us 24 hours in advance? No, you can't? Okay. Boston, not a whole lot now that they're healthy. I think we saw a, a pretty good cross-section of that uh, on Thursday night, which is no one is necessarily guaranteed full starters minutes. They have one to two more players than slots, and uh, Smart, Tatum, and Brown are always going to get theirs, so who gets the rest? Anthony Melton is the guy to watch in Philadelphia. San Antonio, the whole damn team. Utah, Taylor Horton Tucker. Let's go to Sunday, because I went longer on this than I thought. Anybody not playing Friday or Saturday? Uh, Lakers, actually. They got a couple days off here. Slow start to the Lakers coming out of the All-Star break. They'll be in Dallas, so keep an eye on whatever's going on with L.A. and Dallas. Both those teams have some stuff to watch, but feels like the Mavs are kind of into logjam territory now. As are, in my opinion, probably the Lakers, too. Wizards, Bulls, we talked about Toronto, Cleveland, Sacramento, OKC, Minnesota, Golden State, Houston, Portland. It'd be nice to see Portland, uh, who's actually healthy enough to play for that team. It seems like Jeremy Grant is ready to come back. So I would like to see the Blazers with Dame Grant in. It sounds like Nurk is still out. Winslow's still out. And then we'll get a data point on that going forward. And that is your weekend look ahead. And that is another week here on Fantasy NBA Today. Thank you, everybody, as always, for spending so much time with us. I am Dan Vespers. Did we get to 30 YouTube likes? We did. This is a reason for all of you listening on the recorded side to come on over to YouTube and check out the ridiculous thumbnail that's going to get posted. Enjoy the picture of me from 2004 over the weekend. We'll be back on Monday for Reverse Chronological Lightning Round, uh, and we'll start talking playoffs by the end of next week. Yes, we are nearing wind-down time, people. We're almost three-quarters of the way into the NBA season now. I am at Dan Vespers on Twitter, and I hope 
you will come talk to me over there. This again available at youtube.com slash sports ethos. Let's chat over the next couple of days. But if you're all about the pods, then we'll see you on Monday. Go get a baseball draft guide while you're sitting still and looking for something to do. So long for now.